Hello and welcome into the weekly sports talk podcast. This is episode number five with Josh Pose. I am Nick Palazzolo. You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Palazzolo5 and at Pose underscore Josh. We got a loaded podcast for you guys today. We'll start off with the Blackhawks. They fired president and CEO John McDonough. Is Stan Bowman next? And what's next for the Hawks? We'll discuss that. The Bulls finally hired a general manager. What do we know about him? And we'll give you an update on if we have any clarity on Coach Jim Boylan's future. The Bears add some pieces. Mitch Trubisky's fifth-year option needs to be picked up or declined by uh, May 4th. We'll talk about that. And did they make the right choice in getting Nick Foles to compete with Mitch? Brett Favre had some interesting comments about Aaron Rodgers finishing out his tenure as a Packer. And then we'll talk about our sports coming back. MLB seems to have a plan. NBA is starting to open facilities, and the NHL may be close to returning. That's all coming up next on the Weekly Sports Talk Podcast. Josh, first of all, how are you, buddy? I'm doing all right, Nick. How are you? I'm pretty good. Great day. Was able to get outside. It was a great day outside. So Monday, when we take a look at the Twitter machine, a press release comes down from Rocky Wirtz. And it was kind of shocking to me to see that the Blackhawks have fired longtime president and CEO, who may be one of the key factors in them winning three cups, John McDonough, what was your initial reaction to that? Uh, my initial reaction was just, I was stunned that they started with John McDonough because he really wasn't the problem over these past couple of years in the drought of being in the playoffs. I don't, I thought Stan Bowman would be the first to go, but right. I think Rocky Roots thinks that there it's a time to make a change around this around the organization yeah and if you take a look at um you know just the other things that are going on for both teams that play at the united center you know the uh bulls they fired uh gar foreman their general manager kicked packs upstairs and a couple like in february uh uh who was it uh, rocky words was on a conference call he's like no, nobody's being fired. Everybody's safe. And then Monday, John McDonough, we see, has been fired by the Blackhawks. And I think Rocky Words kind of saw at the other team that plays out of the United Center and saw, well, now that we have this unprecedented amount of time, we don't know when we'll get back to our normal lives. You know, maybe we should take a better look at, you know, the whole operation side of the Blackhawks because, they haven't been to the playoffs in three years. They haven't won a playoff game in four. So you had to think something was coming. I was – I'm more like you. I thought Stan Bowman would be more to go. He's been kind of on a uh, cold streak when it comes to uh, trades and some signings. Like Robin Leonard was a great sign, but then you trade him away. And there was a report shortly thereafter when uh, Robert Leonard was traded to the, the Golden Knights that said Robin Leonard wanted to stay in Chicago and be Crawford's backup. 
but Stan didn't want to talk about like a long-term commitment. And that's something that's one of the things that I thought would tell Rocky, like maybe Stan's not the guy anymore. Yeah. I think honestly, I think Stan Bowman's next, but if you take a look at what John McDonough did in his 13 years, 13 seasons, I believe 12 and a half years, I believe that he came in the Blackhawks were 13th in the Western conference. They only had 12,727 fans in on each home game. That's an average. And he left. He left with three Stanley Cups, and its grown, average attendance grew over 10,000 to 22,734. And let me remind people that the United Center only holds 21,000. He mm-hmm. changed the game. He changed the entire outlook of the Blackhawks organization forever. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue to what I wanted to get to. So before John McDonough was the president and CEO of the Chicago Blackhawks, he worked on the business side for the Chicago Cubs. He was like one of their top business side executives for the Cubs. I want to say this was 2006, 2007. He was only with the Cubs for one year. But during that one year, McDonough didn't have a contract. He was working without a contract. And then I know I heard David Kaplan talk tell this story. He was like, uh, McDonough was due to go attend a couple like business executive meetings in Miami. And then uh, so he had a, like an afternoon flight and he wanted to go do that. But Rocky Wirtz is like, John, you got 45 minutes to talk. He's like, uh, well, I got a lot to do. I got to get to this meeting in Florida. He's like, just 45 minutes. So they meet up at this little coffee shop and they end up talking about like strategy, business stuff, all that kind of stuff for three hours. And then it was easy for Rocky Wirtz to take care of John McDonough because he didn't have a contract with the Cubs. He didn't Mm -hmm. need to pay the Cubs to get him out of his contract because he didn't have one. So Rocky Words basically pried him away from the Cubs just because he didn't have a contract. And I know on John McDonough's first day, he walked right into, I don't know if it was uh, where they practice or was it the United Center, but he walks in and the phone starts ringing at like the receptionist desk. And some guys walking right past him. He's like, excuse me, sir, is anyone going to answer that phone? He's like, yeah, we don't have a receptionist. Uh, we have a voice messaging service, and we kind of get to it a couple days. And John McDonough's like, check, I uh, need a receptionist. All right. <laughs> and then he's like, and then he starts asking a couple questions like, how do you guys take care? Where are your books? Where are you guys at financially? Oh, we don't know. We just look at all the bills we acquire, and the Wirtz Corporation just writes us a check, and uh, that's it. So if you just yeah. take a look at from not having a receptionist, and not having someone um, running the books to what it is now, John McDonough did one hell of a job with the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, he did. And I was talking about attendance and 531 straight home game sellouts. 531. And that started like the year after John McDonough came. He was a big marketing guy with the Hawks. And look what happened. He changed them. Yeah, so if you take a look at McDonough, he's one of he'll go down as one of the even though he was kind of like a hands-off approach with the hockey operations side, what since he was hands-off, he'll go down as one of the most uh uh 
how do I want to put this? One of the best Chicago sports executives in Chicago sports history. Just from what he was able to do in the 13 years, 13 seasons, he was there. And, yeah. and provide the and provide the city of Chicago with three cups and just kind of like building the Blackhawks up as a business. He did one hell of a job with that. Yeah, he, like I said, changed it forever. Do you think, my question to you, Nick, is do you think who's better as an executive, John McDonough or uh, Jerry Krause? Oh, that's a great question. Um, that's a really good question. I want to – I'll give you my answer. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go John McDonough because John – see, it's such a difficult question to answer because Jerry Krause was a general manager and he interacted. He hired the coaching staff. He interacted yeah. with the players. He had more hands-on involvement with the players. So, mm-hmm. in a sense, it's kind of a – it's a good question, but it's also a bad question because how can you characterize John McDonough, who's really good on the business side but doesn't yeah. have any input on the player development side and the hockey operation side, to yeah, a guy I like agree. Jerry Krause, who is – all he is is hands-on with the player side because he's a general manager and not on yep. the business side. So it's a good question, but it's almost like a trick question because McDonough wasn't so involved in the day-to-day hockey operations. Yeah. And especially, uh, I, and especially because, like, Jerry Krause is like – he wanted to break up the Bulls because yeah. – organ- uh, Teams don't win champ or players don't win championships. Organizations win championships. <laughs> it's kind of like the uh, the Napoleon complex is the perfect way to describe Jerry Krause. Small guy and talks all this talk like Jerry Krause. Don't get me wrong, what he did for the Bulls it was fantastic. He was able to bring in Doug Collins. Nobody ever heard of Doug Collins. He coached Jordan. And then he brought in Phil Jackson, another great move. And then, you know, that turned out not so great for uh, mm-hmm. Phil Jackson and the Bulls. But it's like, like I said earlier, it's a really good question. But I think I would just have to see, say it's be John McDonough because of the, if you take a look at where the Blackhawks were and what they are now, like that is something that's, it's really hard to top. And I know, the construction of six championships. I know people are going to say that, but it's a hard question because of the hands-on hands-off approach with the hockey operations side or just the different titles. Yeah. But you got to remember that John McDonough didn't draft most of the players, right? He wasn't, he wasn't not, he wasn't part of the organization at that point. Right. So I don't know. I'm I'm leaning towards Jerry Krause because six championships. Even though he broke everyone up, I still think Jerry Krause is one of the greatest GMs of all time. Yeah. Until that moment in the '90s, yeah, in the late uh, '90s, until he uh, went uh, off and started saying, "Oh, we gotta uh, Jordan's done. Uh, we're gonna and it and it's vividly shown in the Last Dance documentary that's airing on ESPN. Four episodes have played out, and Jerry Krause, they're portraying him as the bad guy right because they say oh well and especially i know we talked about 
this with Chris Black uh, last week here on the podcast, but he Chris was like, he, he made a great point. He was like, in like episodes one and two, they portrayed the Bulls as like this sucky team and the underdogs, but they ended up winning 62 games. Yeah. So it's just kind of crazy how they portray them. And then all the hate Jerry Krause gets going into the 98 season uh, because he's like, this will be the last year Phil Jackson will coach the Bulls is like, oh, really? Didn't really need to do that. No. All right. And that's a great segue to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, We talked about uh, John McDonough being fired for the Blackhawks. Let's talk about the other team in the United Center. The Chicago Bulls are going under this uh, going. Uh, through with this front office retooling. Uh, Gar Foreman has been fired. Uh, Pax got kicked upstairs as a senior advisor. Arturis Karnavashovas is now the Bulls executive vice president of basketball operations. And now they have hired a GM in Mark Eversley. So Josh, the Bulls hired a GM in Mark Eversley. What do we know about the new Bulls general manager? Well, we know that he came from the 76ers as an executive and he he did a good job with them because they rose pretty good but some people don't know about Eversley that he worked for Nike for 10 years before rising to the back the to the NBA world he was really close with NBA players and that that kind of advertising stuff for the players it's a great hire by the Bulls yeah, and, and I think some people are going to uh, kind of overshadow uh, the whole working for Nike thing. But I think that's huge because I know uh, – I think it might have been our first podcast, maybe our second. I told you that Pax was on a local radio show and said, I'm not a salesman. That's just not who I am. And then you mm-hmm. have a guy with Mark Eversley. When he worked for Nike, he's got contacts with player agents, with players. He's built relationships. That's how you get people to come to Chicago. Don't put out this narrative, oh, well, they don't want to come to Chicago because of the weather. Like, that's just BS, right? Yeah. Like, sure, the weather sucks, but it's because the front off, the previous front office and Garpacks, they didn't, they, didn't, uh, they didn't promote their brand, so to speak. So I think yeah. it's a great hire. He was um, he he'll report uh, right to uh, Arturis Karnavashovas. Uh, he'll be the general manager, like we said. Um, he he's worked for Nike. He's worked for the 76ers. And Arturis Karnavashovas said in the uh, press release, he has a history of building strong relationships across the board, identifying talent at organizations that have had success during his time there, and the necessary insight for building a network that will be an asset for our program. He's ready for this step in his career, and I'm looking forward to working with him to build the Bulls back into a perennial contender. So a little bit more on uh, Mark Eversley. He's had 14 years of NBA experience. He's worked for the Raptors, the Wizards, the 76ers. Uh, with the 76ers, he was the senior vice president of player personnel. He saw he not only oversaw the player uh, personnel side, but he also was talking about he was also tasked with talent evaluation. So that's good to see that they're kind of trying to build a general manager who knows something about talent evaluation, right? I'm not saying Gar and Pax didn't know anything about talent evaluation, 
but someone who's coming through with that background, you know, is just good to see. And I know uh, he had his press conference earlier today, and he said that uh, we're going to – the thing with me and Arturis is we're going to come uh, – we're going to try to retool the scouting department because the Bulls have had one of the smaller scouting departments in the whole NBA over the last decade or so. And they're going to try to rebuild the developmental side and then rebuild the um, like the scouting side of it. Yeah, you got to think that Jim Boylan has to be going soon. It's not if. Not if anymore. It's when he gets fired by Eversley. That might be his first move, I'm guessing. Uh, yes and no. So w- what I've been hearing and what I've been reading is Jim Boylan, Joe Cali of the Sun-Times put out a tweet, uh, I think it was last week. Jim Boylan's confidence in being back as Chicago Bulls head coach was sky high, right? So that mm-hmm. was an interesting thing to notice. But I I think with this whole COVID-19 thing going, the whole pandemic going on, I feel like Arturis and Mark Eversley, they want to get in the practice facility they want to see Jim Boylan in action. They want to see him working with the players. They want to see how he runs practice. They just want to – They just, I feel like they just want to get a um, a better idea of who Jim Boylan is as a coach before um, determining his future. Yeah, it's just the 39-84 and 84 record. How, how could you determine someone's future 39 by practice? 39 wins and about 100 useless timeouts. Yes, he has, it's just – I don't believe that he should be back next year. I don't think, I think he the should Bulls be need either, but I feel like Arturis and Mark Eversley are going to come through it. And like I said earlier, they're going to kind of evaluate how he is. I understand that players like Zach and Lowry, they don't want – they don't really want to play for Boylan. If we're being honest, I don't think anyone wants to play for Boylan. No. Because he's, he's – He's honestly like a drill sergeant is what he's portrayed to be, right? And I think that's a great uh, comparison if I don't say so myself. But, like, that's that's what he is. I mean, he'll, mm-hmm. he's going to yell at you. He's going to be hands-on. And I know Eversley had a quote that said um, the two things the Bulls struggled with uh, this year was uh, rebounding and putting up good shots. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. They suck. No wonder they've only won so many games. And you, because Jim yeah. Boylan's focusing on the defense, but he's not focusing on like the simple, like, box out your guy, put up a good shot. And we all know he was misusing Lowry, I think, towards last season. And then it started up again this season where he's having Lowry drive to the hoop. It's like, yeah, why? He's, 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 he's a playmaking shooter. He, he, he shoots the three. He, he's not there to be in the slam dunk contest. Yeah, I just don't know because everyone knows about uh, Boylan in practice and people walking out, making him do push-ups like it's fifth-grade theater basketball. <laughs> For some reason, we, we, have, we have professionals doing push-ups if they miss a free throw or if something bad happens at practice. Wind sprints and all that good stuff. Yeah. No, it, all it's ju- not it's, 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 it's all juvenile, honestly. Uh, that, that's what all the reports are. Because, I mean, like, if you want a coach, you want a coach to make you better. The number one way to make a coach hate you is to do uh, – you're, you're a professional basketball player. You know you can't miss free throws. 
But making you do 10 push-ups, is that really going to make you hit the next free throw? No, it doesn't. Exactly. So, I don't know. And then a name, I a couple names that I've been reading about and hearing that could be um, Boylan's replacement, Adrian Griffin. He's right now an assistant coach for the uh, Toronto Raptors under Nick Nurse. Griffin was a potential candidate when, I want to say, after Tibbs was fired. Before Fred, he was a candidate with Fred, but we all know Gar had to have his way and hire Fred. <laughs> and then another name that's been floated around is Tom Thibodeau about him coming yep. back. So, I mean, I don't know how I feel about Tibbs. Adrian Griffin, I've heard a lot of good things about. Everyone around the game respects him. Uh, so, those are just two names to keep in mind. But this Jim Boylan tenure, it isn't over as soon as people think it'll be. Yeah, it it most likely will be another year. Hopefully not. Hopefully if the NBA – I know we'll talk about the NBA opening up some facilities. But I feel like if the NBA has a plan in place to play some games this season, Jim Boylan will be the head coach. Yeah. So Starting in uh for next season, the 2020-2021 season, that's when I think we'll see a change. Yes. Because that, cause that just I, makes I, the most sense. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears over the last week or so have added some pieces. Uh, they have signed wide receiver Ted Ginn Jr., to a one-year contract. He played the last three seasons with the New Orleans Saints. They also signed safety Tayshawn Gibson. He was most notably uh, cut last week uh, after one year of a three-year contract with the Houston Texans. He also spent some time in Jacksonville and I think with Cleveland as well. So, Josh, what do you make of those two signings in Ted Ginn Jr. and Tashawn Gibson? Well, I'm going to go with Ted Ginn Jr. right now, and I'm going to rant a little bit. Why get a, I know Ted Ginn Jr. is still decent and fast, but why get a guy who was in his prime in 2013? Be, because Ryan Pace is the general manager. You know, Ryan, I just, just don't understand it. Uh, so, Ted Ginn played in New Orleans the last three seasons. Uh, Ryan Pace, general manager, uh, got his start in the football uh, front office in New Orleans. So there's a tie there. Uh, Ted Ginn, I think, had a really good year in 2013 and 2016 as well. Jimmy Graham had like a 16-touchdown season while he was in New Orleans. So uh, Ryan Pace still thinks it's like 2013. He wants to sign all the old aging veteran free agents. And because uh, Ryan Pace thinks uh, he's still living in 2013. I just – I don't understand. The two guys uh, – two of the three guys with Komet coming in, Jimmy Graham and Ted Ginn Jr., their best stats were seven or eight years ago. Yeah. I don't understand why you're doing this. Now that – now Trubisky's going to throw the ball 10 feet out of Ted Ginn's, Ted Ginn's hands – it's going to be eight feet because he's faster. Might make Trubisky look a little better. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I 
personally like the Ted Ginn signing because he's basically another Taylor Gabriel. Good speed, good return man, right? Um, basically, just just another guy, just a wide receiver. The Bears have focused on adding speed at the wide receiver position. We saw that in the draft with Darnell Mooney, the wide receiver they took in the fifth round. We're seeing that with Ted Ginn. They also signed a wide receiver slash return man in Trevor Davis, who played with the Raiders and the Packers, I think, last season. So if you just look at it, I mean, if you're trying to add speed, I think Ted Ginn might have been your best option out there. I mean, I'm looking at it now. Paul Richardson's still out there. That could have been a good one. Uh, Demarius Thomas is still there. Tavon Austin. But other than that, you just got a bunch of aging veterans. So I think out of that group of wide receivers, I think Ted Ginn was the best move just out of those wide receivers. Yeah, just 35 years old. It's just you don't know. You don't know how good he'll be at 35, 36 when the season hopefully starts. And then the one thing that concerns me with Ted Ginn is a lot of people have reported that, uh, you know, Ted Ginn has had his fair share of drops. You know, he can uh, hit you over the middle or he can run a deep post for you, double move, screen game, gadget guy. But he can also drop a fair amount of passes. So, yeah. Ted Ginn will be your solid number three receiver. He's there for your streak routes, your deep posts, your deep mo- uh, double moves, your out and ups, you know, your slants, your screens. That's what you're getting in Ted, Ted Ginn. And especially, like you said, he's 35 years old. You know, it's just what it is. I mean, if you look at the, yeah. you know, the crop of wide receivers that are still free agents, you know, there's really not that much out there. And especially for an aging veteran, he probably will cost you $1 million, $2 million at most. I mean, I was a big fan of Brashad Perryman, uh, a former Ravens draft pick, resurrected his career with Tampa Bay, signed a one-year deal for $6.5 million with the New York Jets. I was a big fan of him. But, you know, it's just – it is what it is, you know. You know, yeah. Ryan Pace just signing all these aging veterans, giving Jimmy Gr- – I just really hope Ted Ginn isn't making more than $2 million. Because we've yeah. got Jimmy Graham making right. $9 million guaranteed dollars with a no-trade clause. Greg Olson's making like three and a half. Uh, uh, Eric Ebron's making like six mil a year. And then we're paying Jimmy Graham nine mil a year. That's the thing that still frustrates me. Mm-hmm. So I like the Gibson move, though. Yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, Tayshawn Gibson, a strong safety, uh, has dealt with a couple injuries over the last three or so seasons. So, Josh, what do you like about Tayshawn Gibson? Well, in eight seasons with the Browns and Jaguars and Texans, like you said, he has 450 tackles, 23 interceptions, and 47 pass breakups. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, for sure. That's a pretty good – I think that's a steal for Ryan Pace that might honestly might be one of his best deals of this offseason. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, and it's just a veteran safety to pair back there with Eddie Jackson. I think the the whole I, I would have been a big fan of Tony Jefferson. I'm a big Tony Jefferson guy. But I think the thing is he tore his ACL uh I think week eight or nine of last season, you know. 
And he's still – I don't think he can get cleared um, by a doctor to sign a physical. So, I think the Bears pounced. They saw a guy they liked in Tashawn Gibson, and they went and got their guy. Yeah, I like – I like that might be one of my favorite signings of this offseason. And hopefully we get to see him play this year. Hopefully we'll talk about that later. Yeah, and but. so let's talk about the quarterbacks because – I know a lot has been made out of the quarterbacks. You know, Cam Newton is still a free agent. He was released by the Carolina Panthers a couple weeks ago with a failed physical designation. Andy Dalton was just recently cut by the uh, Cincinnati Bengals since they drafted Joe Burrow and had no more um, need for him. So it's just, do you think right now – on May 1st, that the Bears made the right choice in Nick Foles? Mm, Time will tell, but right now I'm saying no. Really? I'm saying no because there's – I believe that there's there's better guys out there. I think Andy Dalton's still a solid quarterback. His team just sucked last year. He had no weapons. I think Andy Dalton with weapons would be good. And – Cam Newton, if the Bears could have waited to pull the trigger uh, on Nick Foles, they would have Cam Newton at whatever they wanted or he wanted, not what the Panthers wanted because mm-hmm. the Panthers kept getting greedy. I think Cam Newton would have been the best bet, but I, I'm a big Cam Newton fan. But I'm not – I'm just – I don't know because of injuries. Yeah. The Bears talk about injuries with Cam Newton, but you have uh, Nick Foles who's coming off an injury last year too. Yeah, and if you take a look at it, I think uh, I saw a tweet, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago that the Bears had requested medical information on Cam Newton. Cam Newton had one year left on his deal, $19.1 million in non-guaranteed money left on his deal with Carolina. They requested the medical information from Carolina just to get a better um, – a better grasp of where he is in his uh, like rehab of his foot. He had a Liss Frank uh, foot fracture and that didn't heal. So he had to go back and have surgery a second time. And some people still don't think that Cam Newton will find a job just because of all those injury concerns. And you take a look at Andy Dalton. He had 17.7, one year, 17.7 non-guaranteed money, $17.7 million non-guaranteed money left on his deal. He was also released. So, and I know in trade talks, some teams have called, called the Bengals about Andy Dalton, but Andy Dalton wanted a new contract. And for what uh, the redheaded Jay Cutler was asking, um, teams didn't want to make that much of a commitment, especially to a guy like Andy Dalton, who has proven himself to be a very capable average starting quarterback, but teams weren't willing to give him a new deal. So I think when you take a look at the Chicago bears, they traded a fourth round compensatory pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He had 21 million fully guaranteed left on his deal. So, Mm -hmm. but here's the thing. Nick Foles has worked with Bill Lazor. He's worked with John DeFlippo. He's been with Matt Nagy. Cam Newton and Andy Dalton, 
Andy Dalton has a little bit of a repertoire with uh, Bill Lazor, the offensive coordinator. But other than that, there's no familiarity there. So I think when you take a look yeah. at it, especially in a time of maybe no offseason program, no training camp, or maybe a very limited training camp at that, I feel like Foles is the right pick because he, he knows the system, or he knows most of it. Some of the terminology is probably a little bit different. But I think Foles is still the right choice. Like, even though he's owed $21 million fully guaranteed, he's make, his base salary is like $5.3 million this year. He's guaranteed $8 million mm-hmm. this season. It's nothing. Yeah, just time will tell with skill-wise. But Yeah, so while we're still on quarterbacks, the Chicago Bears have until May 4th, I believe that is Monday, to make a decision regarding Mitchell Trubisky's fifth-year option. Should the Chicago Bears uh, pick up Mitch Trubisky's fifth-year option, Josh? No, 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 no. no. And I'm guessing your answer is the same? Yes and no. Here's here's what I'll say with this. So, here's what we got. Mitch Trubisky, very garbage quarterback, right? He couldn't hit the water if he was throwing a football off a boat, okay? But but here's the thing. Mitch Trubisky, this is the last year that first-round players' fifth-year options won't be guaranteed, right? So, the Bears could theoretically still pick up his fifth-year option, play the season, and then just cut him after the season. That is still very within the realm of possibility, right? And that'll be a backup plan if Nick Foles plays well, if he chooses to opt out. But the risk you run with doing that, if if, uh, Mitch Trubisky plays well, He's playing well, and then all of a sudden, or he's playing bad, and he all of a sudden he gets injured. That fifth-year option is only guaranteed because of injury. So you play yeah. that fine line of do you pick it up, do you not pick it up? If you don't pick it up, you might screw yourself. If you pick it up, you know, you might screw yourself too. So, I mean... It's a complicated situation. I know a bunch of people think, oh, it's cut and dry that uh, Mitch Trubisky's fifth-year option will be declined. But since it's the last year, 2017 is the last draft class, that fifth-year options are not guaranteed. I know starting in 2018 under the new new, uh, collective bargaining agreement, they're starting to show or say that fifth-year options will become guaranteed in the third year. So mm-hmm. you you run that risk if you, you – this is the last year you can pick up the fifth-year option but still not have to pay him. So I feel like it's just one of those things where if you take a look at Mitch, the play on the field just wasn't there. It, it wasn't there. He played terrible. He had a hip injury. He hurt his shoulder, right? Yada, yada, yada. At one of his press conference, he wanted to turn all the TVs off because he didn't want to hear any of the outside noise. He's really good at sweeping sheds, hard worker, watches a lot of film. You can watch all the film you want, but if you don't know what the hell you're looking at, what the hell are you watching film for? Yeah. So I think, I think I it's just... that fine line of like, you can pick it up, 
and cut him without penalty. But if you don't pick it up, do you screw yourself in the future? Yeah. And I think and I think just... also the best case scenario is Mitch Trubisky beats out Nick Foles in the open competition, whatever that looks like. He beats him out. They they accept his option or they pick up his fifth year option and then you got a quarterback for twenty four mil. Like yeah. the thing the thing that's gonna really suck, right? They decline his fifth year option. He wins out the job, he plays really well. Then what the hell are you gonna do? You just yeah. costed yourself seven just... million dollars because you could apply the franchise tag to um a Mitch Trubisky for about thirty two mil. You can uh, apply the franchise tag for about thirty one, thirty two million dollars instead of picking up the fifth year option. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where yeah. there's consequences for whatever move you do. Yeah, just Adam Schefter last Saturday, I believe, said uh, people around the league believe they will not pick up Trubisky's fifth yeah. year. Like, and I, and I know we. So I don't think I don't think they will. I, I truly don't. I think don't they think will. they will either. But I think you also got to you got to run the the pros and cons of the consequences going both ways yes. of picking it up versus not picking it up. So Josh, let's move on. A lot of trouble is uh, stir- being stirred in Packerland. As some of you may know, the Packers traded up in the first round to select quarterback Jordan Love. That did not sit so well with some Packers fans. And Brett Favre, what does Brett Favre think about Aaron Rodgers? Josh, what did Brett Favre think about Aaron Rodgers finishing out his tenure as a Packer? He does not believe that Aaron Rodgers will be a Packer for for the rest of his career. He won't finish out. I think, based on that, I think it'll be one or two years with the Packers mentoring Jordan Love, and then he's gone to finish up his career. Most I'm guessing Patriots, and then all of a sudden they'll win three more. Yeah, with him. well, well here's like the in Patriot here's fashion. Also the thing, I don't know if Rodgers is actually going to mentor Jordan Love. Brett Favre never mentored Aaron Rodgers. They the two hated each yeah. other because Brett Favre is like, now you're you're going to try and take my job. Why should I teach you everything you need to know about playing quarterback in the National Football League if you're just coming to take my job? So yeah. why why should I teach you stuff that you can beat me with? So that's also mm-hmm. one of the things that I don't know how much and a bunch of people don't like that people don't know what the hell the Packers are doing, right? Jordan Love no, taking A AJ Dillon, who's a third running back in Green Bay because Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams stopped existing. But it, I thought it was interesting that Brett Favre went on Rich Eisen's show and said that he does not think that uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers will finish out his career as a Green Bay Packer. Could it be this this off season or yeah this off season? Could there be a trade? No, I, out? I don't think so. There, there's it, it'd be the Packers would just shoot themselves in the foot if they did that. There would be too much money on the line, uh, too much mm-hmm. uh, from a financial aspect. It wouldn't make any sense. Like sure, sure you could yeah, get. I, um, I agree. Was it uh, two first round picks, maybe? Right, two first round picks to move on from uh, Aaron Rodgers and some other picks, but you have no, you have no financial 
it doesn't make any sense financially to do it. So that's mm-hmm. the one thing I do, I don't think um I don't think, you know, it doesn't make any sense for them to do it. Sure, the two first round picks could would look nice now, but financially you're shooting yourselves in the foot cuz you still got to pay them. Cuz there's yeah. no chance that the team you trade them to, they're going to want to take all that salary. Nobody want nobody's going to want to do that. So it's just mm-hmm. one of those things where I don't think a trade is Certainly not this season. This off season, no. Next off season, yeah, don't think so. And then I think after two more seasons, Rogers has an opt out. I think in his contract where he can opt out and test the market. He might do that depending on what the trend is with Jordan Love. So we'll just see mm-hmm. there. So our yep. sports coming back. Uh, there has been some. Uh, Recent reporting that has been done about the MLB, Bob Nightingale, like we told you in our first podcast, MLB's rolling out some uh, some plans. Bob Nightingale, the uh, lead baseball columnist at uh, USA Today. Uh, so, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this plan that Bob Nightingale laid out for us? Well, they're thinking about um... – Three divisions, 10 teams in each division. So, and playing at home stadiums starting in at least, or as soon as late June. So the divisions look like, let me pull it up. The East will be the New York Yankees and the New York Mets, Boston Red Sox, Washington Nationals, Baltimore Orioles, Phillies, Pirates, Blue Jays, Rays, Marlins. The West will be the Dodgers, Angels, Giants, A's, Padres, Diamondbacks, Rockies, Rangers, Astros, Mariners, Whew. Cubs, in the Central will be Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, Cardinals, Royals, Reds, Indians, Twins, Braves, and Tigers. Whew, that was a mouthful. <laughs> I, 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 like I like it this. a lot better than the Arizona and Florida plans. I think yes. uh, a lot better because players don't want to go to Arizona. They don't want to go to Florida because they got takes it away from their families. If you notice, all these divisions are more geographically aligned. They're not your, um, they're not carbon copies of like the NL Central and the AL Central um, getting put together. They're more geographically organized, right? Uh, everybody would play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they wanted to play like ten or eleven times each team. You know, I think it's a good start. But one thing I have been hearing that's coming up is. A lot of owners, there's, there's, I know this was the case a couple weeks ago, but I'm not sure if it still is. A lot of people were unsure if baseball would be back because there would be no fans in the Mm -hmm. stands because that would be such a loss of revenue. Because basically, how an MLB team is run, there is no set salary cap. It's basically how much revenue your team can generate. So a team like the Cubs would generate more revenue than a team like the A's, right? So Mm -hmm. if you don't have fans to pay your players, why play baseball if you're not going to have the money? That was the belief a couple weeks ago with people around the league is they weren't sure if baseball was going to come back because they didn't know if not having fans in the stands would uh, impact them financially. Yeah, I'm all for 
I'm all for the Cubs and Sox playing each other 10 or 11 times. Yeah, in the for season. sure. I'm all for the Dodgers and the Giants. The Yankees already play the Red Sox a lot since they're in the same right. division, but Yankees, Mets, you have all these great rivalries that can just go so far with this new thing, with this division. Yeah, so I think it's a great plan about the MLB. So let's move on to the National Basketball Association. Adrian Wojnarowski had a tweet, uh, I want to say it was a week, week and a half ago, about the ML, or the uh, NBA would be sending out a memo about uh, outlining how a, um, a plan would work for the states that are slowly starting to reopen. I know Georgia is a state that's starting to reopen. Um, so teams want to know when they can get back into the facilities. And so the NBA is starting to roll out um, facility orders about how many people can be in the facility. Uh, who can be there? One coach, uh, one coach for every four players, stuff like that. So it's just one of those things where mm-hmm. you're not going to have sports until most states reopen. That that's just the yes. reality of it. So I guess I and I know the Atlanta Hawks. They said hey, you can issue all these guidelines. We're still not going to practice because that because it just yeah, it just I, compromises I think... too much safety. Yeah, I just think that, like, the, the Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks, they open. They, they say they're going to open. And these other states that are opening, they're going to be – we're opening. That gives those teams the unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I think it should all open at once. And if you have a team like the Knicks or the Nets or the Bulls, whose cities are all on the lockdown or a stay-at-home order, you, you can't – You yeah, the Bulls suck. But <laughs> – they have to get a, it like they have to be on the even playing field, with all the teams. Every team should open at once. It it should not be okay. Atlanta, you open first. Chicago, you're gonna open whenever you open three right. months. So let's move on. Well, I I just yeah, don't let's like move that. on to the NHL. The NHL is also coming in to to a plan about playing finishing out the regular season. And playing in front of uh, empty stadium, in front of uh, yeah, empty stadiums and arenas. So, what do you think about the NHL's plan? Basically, to play in, in, in the same host, in the same everyone's home city, but without fans. They said the most aggressive um, timetable would be players returning back to their home cities as early as May fifteenth. So, in about two weeks. So, what do you think about the NHL's plan? I I hope they go back, but I don't want them going, let's say it comes late July when they're like, okay, we can come back into August. And then you have a season starting up in October. These guys aren't going to want to play 82 games. Right. I, I would recommend, and I know they want the season back, but they've gone through lockouts and they've gone through all this stuff. Just cancel the rest of the season. And go through the 2020-2021 season like you just came right back. Just go right through. I I just don't like going in and having a 20-team single elimination tournament. It's just not Yeah, and going back to the MLB's plan about potentially reorganizing divisions and having them more geographically aligned, my fear is like Mm – 
So let's say the Cubs play the Sox. They'll play each other's 10 times, 10, 11 times, as opposed to like the four times they play during interleague play during a normal regular season. What if people mm-hmm. like that? Are you going to put the Sox in the NL Central? Are you going to put the Cubs in the uh, AL Central? Are you going to go back to how it was? What are you going to do, especially when you realign the divisions like that? I would just go back to how it was. Just At the end of the day, it'll all go back to normal at some point. No one knows when. But you have to go back to what you've been, unless you're just going to realign the divisions and just, and like the Pirates are going to be in the AL Central switching out for the Royals, right. something like that, like minor changes, but don't change everything. Like, like don't go to this 10, 10 team, three division thing. I don't like that. I like it for what's under the circumstances, but not when everything yeah, comes back to Yeah, and I think it's normal. a great point because you don't want to change too many things about because, uh, you know, we're going to have the uh, old-time Mr. Baseball get off my lawn, old man yells at clouds. Well, you know, back in my day, they would never do this. Baseball games are just fine at three hours. Who, If kids don't like it, you know, yada, 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 that's their problem. And it's like, yeah, but I just want to see, like, all the old-time baseball fans' reactions to this realignment kind of phase to people who just love the game for what it is. And like, they like sitting watching yeah. a three, three and a half hour ball game, stuff like that. That's a, I honestly think three hours sitting either in the sun or under the lights at a major league baseball stadium is one of the greatest things you oh, can do as an American. It's that's fantastic. my, that's my opinion. It's fantastic. That's just my opinion. Sitting, sitting just at any sporting event is just fantastic. So I, I, I want the wor- like the whole U.S., but more importantly the world, to be able to and teams to put fans in the stands but not jeopardize safety while doing it. Yes. All right, so that will do it for us on the Weekly Sports Talk podcast. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode. For Josh Pose, I am Nick Palazzolo. This is episode number five of the Weekly Sports Talk podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great day.